Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks again. Thanks for the first time in this episode for joining me again for another episode where we are walking through the journey of everything that's happening and that I'm learning and that we're trying to do in real time at 4x400, the brand holding company that acquires, operates and grows D2C brands e-commerce brands uh, that I have the privilege of leading. And uh, this week on the show, I'm gonna talk to you about something I'm seeing really across brands in a lot of different ways. And that is the relationship. I I think this is a, a crucial digital marketing lesson. It's the relationship between demand generation and demand capture. And uh, man, you can be really, really good at one of those and bad at the other, and it can really hurt you. So uh, I wanna talk about that, some of the things I'm seeing across our businesses and a lot of different elements of that breakdown. I think this is a a really crucial element of what it means to be a great D2C brand. So hang with me and I'll link back for you. So so this might just be like the most intuitive marketing, digital advertising concept I've I've ever talked about on on this show. And, I don't know for sure. I, uh, I I don't know for sure who exactly is listening to this, but I think for most of us, you're going to see what I'm getting at, and it's going to be really clear and intuitive to you. But I I also think that there is a uh, there's the real possibility that you miss parts of this because of the way metrics are reported and the things that are in our face versus not and. Um, and, and so, yeah, so something I've been sleeping on in our business a little bit until I've just recently been seeing it. And I, I think it's just really, really important. So um, I want to start by defining some terms. Uh, demand generation and demand capture. Uh, hopefully not super uh, hard to figure out what I'm talking about there, but demand generation, just the idea that marketing, a lot of what our advertising is doing here is trying to create demand, right? Create uh, to, to acquire customers, is the other way we say that, uh, for our products. Uh, and so customer acquisition, you could sort of break down into both of these elements. If customer acquisition is the big picture idea that we're going for here, then the first thing you have to do is generate demand for your product, and then you have to capture it, okay? Uh, so you generate the demand, then you capture it. So the maybe the way to think about this is to counter, uh, or, or to, to give a, a contrary example here, which would be something like brand marketing for a giant company like let's say Coca-Cola or something or Nike these these giant huge brands are mostly with their marketing budgets trying to affect the way you think about and perceive their products not really primarily trying to generate demand for the product they've already got demand for the product in general and the uh, the um capture of that demand is happening across all the real t- retail locations and uh, all these sorts of things. But they're trying to just get you to think a certain way. Marketing as brand equity building and brand affinity building. So it's just a different deal than what many of us are doing when we're running e-commerce brands, which is trying to build something often sort of from an entrepreneurial st- point of view and trying to acquire customers sort of for the first time. Um, other kinds of advertising are almost entirely about um, demand capture uh, and like, I always think of like insurance companies or cell phone companies where so much of what they're trying to do is like, just stay top of mind from the last time that you or, or when it's time for you to go buy one of their products. You know, if you move or if you buy a new car, Geico really hopes that they're the most recent insurance company that you've thought of. And therefore, when you go to buy insurance for your car, you go to Geico and you um, you buy their insurance. Like that's so much of what they're trying to do, which is basically a last step towards demand capture. 
in some way. I mean, you could bend those terms a little, but there you go. Um, so in e-commerce, in, and for, for most of us, the relationship between those two things is a little different than that. The, the, um, the, the, the first step of so much of what we're doing is demand generation. And for, for most brands, and for lots of brands anyway, we're doing a lot of that through paid advertising via Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads, that sort of thing, right? So, um, you know, and if you're running other paid social or if you're even some influencer campaigns, those sorts of things, you're doing all of that to tell people for the first time often about your product and generate demand for it. And so that's, that's a ton of what we're doing. We spend, you know, the vast majority of our marketing dollars on that. And the, pro, the, the, the thing I want to point out here is that at least in 4x400, what I have realized is that we are not, we're doing a pretty good job, I think, on demand generation. But a couple things have made me realize recently that we have done a fairly poor job of demand capture in terms of after we get that first video view or impression, I mean, really impression, um, but that impression could, could lead to any number of actions, which would be, um, yeah, like I said, a video view, it could be a click, it could be, um, a click, not on an ad, but, uh, but on a brand's name to go over to social and go look at, you know, if it's an Instagram ad, go look at the Instagram feed for the brand and kind of go explore a little bit more. Like there's all kinds of things that, that a customer could do with after that. And so great demand capture in e-commerce is making sure that after I have told somebody about my brand for the first time, that is, after I have generated demand, I go, I make a huge point of capturing that demand. I do not let that uh, person get away. The other way to think about this would be um, with the idea of the customer funnel. Um, sometimes I've heard people talk about plugging leaks in the funnel, plugging holes in the funnel. So if customers are in your funnel, if you've already done the hardest part, which is get them to care about something they did not care about a second ago, then you want to make absolutely certain that they do not get out of the funnel because that will mean you waste money. So there's all kinds of things that we do to, uh, and I spent a lot of time, I, I interrupted my own thought there, but I, I spent a lot of time talking on this show about demand generation because that is in some ways the hardest part. You have to get sort of a baseline level of performance. Otherwise, that money ends up getting thrown away. Um, but yeah, this is the point that I wanted to make. With our new brands in particular, what I have realized recently is that we were not doing a good enough job on demand capture. And when I look closely at our more established brands versus our newer brands, I can see that fairly clearly, okay? So... Um, so let me make two observations that spurred this thought. The first is that the brand of ours that has by far runs at the best MER and the most value. Um, again, MER, just like another way of saying blended ROAS, total advertising budget, uh, or total advertising budget all in across all channels as a percentage of total revenue. That's what I mean. MER uh, expressed as a ratio. So uh, marketing efficiency ratio is, is what MER stands for. It's revenue divided by total ad spend, Okay. Slick runs at a three and a half to four. Essentially, what I mean by that is roughly 25 to 30% of our budget or of our revenue gets spent back on advertising to keep growing the brand, okay? Now, our other brands all run at much lower numbers than that. I'm okay with that, generally speaking, because they're all in hyper growth mode. We're trying to get them out of the early stages. The, our model is set up to try to pursue growth fast, and I'm not expecting them to run at higher MERs. But Slick has had to do that kind of from the beginning, in part because Slick's margins are not as good uh, as, as our other brands. We've always had to kind of take a little bit slower growth to try to maintain some profitability on the spend as we grow. And in the midst of that, 
we have done a number of things that has pushed us to, I think, probably um, perform better as a brand overall. So um, Slick, for example, is the only one of my brands that is on Amazon. Uh, and and because, of, because our brands are not on Amazon otherwise, Slick, that means, captures demand in more than one place, not just on our Shopify store, but also on Amazon. And you and I both know that there are customers who will always prefer Amazon to Slick. Now, e-commerce people are consistently terrified that when you send a customer to Amazon, it is cannibalizing a Shopify sale. And everybody hates that for all kinds of reasons, right? Which is like, you don't get the customer information, you're even more leveraged on somebody else's platform than usual. Amazon makes a few things difficult. At some point, you could, there's all kinds of fraud concerns. There are good reasons to be concerned about Amazon. But the cannibalization factor, I think, is a relatively small issue. I really do. Um, I think that the addition of marginal customers on Amazon is probably, you know, or, I mean, not probably, it is significantly greater than the cannibalization that's going to happen of of your own store's sales. And one of the best pieces of evidence that I have for this, um, well, I mean, there's lots of evidence for that basic point. But the actual thing I wanted to point out here is that if you look at Slick's historical revenue and Slick's Amazon revenue, we were spending very little money on, on, on Amazon advertising for a while. And yet, Slick's um, Amazon channel was growing in revenue, just consistently month over month over month over month. So in January, 2020, it was around 40 grand in Amazon revenue. So a nice channel. That's, you know, that's a half a million dollar channel for Slick at, in, a, in a year where um, where Slick did about 4 million total. So uh, so that's a, that's a significant channel, okay? Uh, and, you know, in January this year, it's about 80 grand compared to Shopify in January of last year. January is the low season. Winter's the low season for Slick, for sure. People are not riding their off-road vehicles as often. Slick, if you aren't familiar with that brand, sells wash products for off-road vehicles. Um, people are not doing as much of that in the winter. It's cold. And uh, so Slick did about 80 grand uh, in Shopify revenue in January of 2020. And in January of 2021, did about 240. So significant growth. And, and Slick had a nice... Um, moment early last year, like a lot of brands did where 2020 was really good for Slick. So, so we saw some real growth around Q, Q2 or so for Slick. Um, again, some of that was coronavirus. I think some other stuff was some things we unlocked legitimately in that time. So, so there was some really good growth there. Um, so our Shopify revenue tripled year over year. Our Amazon revenue doubled. And so that's not a super clean relationship. Those, those plot lines go slightly differently. But if you were to look at the historicals of Slick, and I'm not going to go through them all month by month or anything like that, but what you would see is that as Slick grows as a whole, Amazon grows right along with it. And a good portion of that for sure is that we are, or some portion of that is that we're spending money on Amazon, acquiring customers on categorical search terms, just like you would elsewhere. Um, and, you know, SEO seems to be growing along the way and, and all of that is definitely happening. But a big part of that too is that people are searching for Slick products on Amazon. Now, when you think about that, Somebody searching for Slick products on Amazon, that is a branded search on that platform. And if we are not there, that search still will be, right? Somebody is searching. Somebody is searching for Slick products on Amazon. So if we're not there, like for example, Bamboo Earth is not there. I promise you there is search volume. I should actually go check this. I haven't yet, but I will. Uh, I promise you somebody is searching for Bamboo Earth on Amazon in their platform. 50% of all e-commerce in 
and you know, you hear that number moved a lot of different ways. Or I've heard 40, I've heard 60%, I've heard 80%. But you know, let's just say 50% of all US e-commerce happens on Amazon. So clearly a huge ton of customers are uh, searching for your products or searching for some products if they know you at all on Amazon. And because it's the greatest shopping experience in the world, um, and it is, okay, uh, because of that, like customers are going to go prefer, or they're going to prefer to go shop there. So if I am spending, and this is the key point that I want to make, if I am spending all this money on Facebook telling people about my products, if I'm doing that, so they're clicking to my website, they're learning about my brand, and then you know maybe they're riding off-road with their friends and they're seeing it. All of these things that, um, that are this sort of spider web of interactions that customers are having with my brand in all kinds of places. If they go to Amazon and I am not there, then, then I am losing demand capture. I have generated the demand and I am not capturing all of it. That's a crucial point because that means that the money I'm spending on Facebook, now I have less opportunities to capture revenue off of it, which means that money is pretty much by definition less efficient. And by the way, I can almost promise you that some traffic goes in the other direction as well. Amazon, people come and they are looking for my product on Amazon and you know maybe at some point they, they buy it and then they go check out my website for whatever reason. Like I, I just know that, that there's other traffic going in other directions. And when I've talked to smart Amazon people, they all say this effect is real. That just by getting more brand awareness and more brand growth um, via Amazon search and and via people buying product your product on Amazon, then people will also come back to your website for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they'll go to your social and and then your social takes them to your website or whatever. Okay, so so that's one place where demand capture is happening. The other thing about Slick is that it's the only brand I'm really running any YouTube on right now, and I'm I'm running it just a small little remarketing spend. Um, I was looking, the, the way to think about this is we've, we've got about, of, of our total ad spend, uh, if we spend, I think we spent 60 grand in the first two weeks of March on Facebook, and we spent about six grand the first two weeks of March on Google. That includes my search ads, my shopping ads, my um, display ads, and YouTube, and all of them. So you can see, I mean, that's four different categories of ads, and they're all relatively small spends. And the, the thing is, almost all of that in some way, there's a little bit of categorical search and shopping spend there. And that actually maybe is half or more of that spend. But then the rest of it is display and YouTube and branded uh, ads. And the point of all of those is the exact same thing in some ways as the point of that Amazon spend, which is I'm just trying to make sure that after I get that first click, I pay that little amount more money to make sure to retarget those people on YouTube and on my display ads. Just like... Now, it's hard because, you know, I know that Google's reporting display ad purchases that originally started on Facebook, so I'm paying for the click on a Facebook prospecting ad, and then I'm paying for another click on Google uh, remarketing ads, and when you when I look at those two things together, uh, you know, both of them are reporting separately, and so there's actually some overlap there, and blah, 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 but like... Look, when I look at the MER of the total brand, what seems clear to me is that my brand that runs the most efficient also has the most investment in demand capture in all these different places. So that is not an accident. It also happens to be that Slick has runs at the highest, um, runs at the highest ROAS of any of my brands. Now, part of that, I guarantee you, I promise you, is because 
we have done a good job of setting up the back end of our spend on uh, Google and also have built out some simple automated emails to make sure that when people click, they buy. Now, again, we've had to live there to some degree because we want to make sure that uh, we are actually creating profit off of our margins. So we have to do some work to get there, but that's working and we're running at a more efficient spend. And when I look at the rest of our brands, what I've realized is I've done a disservice to 4 over 100. This is nobody's fault but mine um, by um, not pushing us harder to make sure that we are doing those same things elsewhere. So here, here was actually one of the unlocks for me that made me see it. So I saw that whole situation with Slick. Our most efficient brand continues to grow all these different ways. And that seems to be in part because of that. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, by the way, that Slick also is spending some wholesale money, uh, or excuse me, is is uh, has some wholesale business in a way that our other brands don't. Um, again, that was, a, that was because the margin works out really well for Slick. Uh, wholesale, we, we save, we lose so much money in margin on shipping. And so when we ship pallet loads at a time, um, you know, to retailers or when, when your retailers pay for the shipping on your products or whatever, uh, the, like that all really helps our margin a lot for slick because the product isn't uh, overly expensive. It's just that shipping it is really expensive. So we, we added wholesales part of the business precisely because we wanted to make sure, we, because it was, mar, it was good for our margin in a way that it wasn't for the other brands. That said, we have seen immediate demand capture happening there. If somebody, like one of our biggest accounts is called Rocky Mountain ATV. If ATV people are seeing our Facebook ads and they have an account already on Rocky Mountain ATV and that's where they like to shop for stuff, well, we've told Rocky Mountain ATV you cannot bid on our brand terms because we don't, that I think is just a way that, um, retailers can cannibalize your, your sales. So we still control our brand terms on Google and those places. But if somebody wants to go to Rocky Mountain ATV, because that's where they like to shop for their ATV stuff, because it's a good online ATV store, then that's fine. Let's be there if we're going to be the number one product in this category. And we our sell-through has been really, really good there. And that for sure is because we've had impressions after clicks, after video views, for people for a long time in this space. We've hit them a lot. Um, and again, the same is true with, with uh, our other like actual in-store retailers where our sell-through has been consistently pretty good. I know this when I uh, worked with Kalo and when Kalo launched its wholesale program, they were seeing after spending all this money on Facebook ads, wouldn't you know it, their sell-through immediately was really good in retail environments as well. In-store, brick and mortar. That's not an accident. That's because people walked up and they knew exactly what it was because they had seen the ads, they'd clicked the ads, they'd watched the videos. This is the thing. I'll come back to that other point I was going to make in a second. This is the thing. If you're running Facebook ads and you're living off of ROAS, um, then that means you're leaving the value of so much of the rest of the way customers are interacting with your product on the table. What I mean is, you know, People see your ad, and many people will score right past it. It won't even register. Fine. But many, many, many people, like depending on your conversion rate, 97% of people who click on your ad, 97% of those people do not buy it, do not buy your product. So they were interested enough to click on an ad for a product that they knew nothing about um, before, potentially or they'd seen somewhere or whatever, and they were interested enough to spend, if you look at your Google Analytics, probably around a minute on your website on average. And they may have even watched 30 seconds of video before they clicked on the ad, depending on how it works. And then 
If you are not capturing that demand somewhere, you're taking that level of engagement with your brand and you're just letting that person walk away and saying, okay, see you later. It's okay, you didn't buy. What increasing demand generate demand capture is going to do, or what really focusing on demand capture is going to do, is just to make sure that you you stay up with that person as much as possible. Um, and like this is this is the retail, this is the brick and mortar retail effect here, is that that person may in fact walk away from your brand and not be interested, but maybe they walk into a store and you're in that store, and uh, and now. Oh, look at that. I've watched this brand's video. I've been to their site. I didn't want to buy it. I don't know. Shipping was expensive, whatever. And now they can pick it up and look at it and ask a sales rep about it or, or, what, or you know, ask a, 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 you know, an employee at the store about it or whatever it is. And now maybe they go and buy it. And that's not because you generated the demand at the retail environment. It's because you captured it. The same thing is happening on Amazon as well. So, um, so, that all can happen there. Now, I'm saying this because I'm realizing this is partly happening for Slick, and I'm realizing that we need to keep investing in this at 4 by 400 for our other brands because we've got to get really good at capturing all the demand we're driving. So the other thing that I saw with this is that on a much smaller scale than what Slick was doing, I realized that our automated flows were a little behind for our newer brands. We had just we had really emphasized, um, we really focused on um, our sort of retention efforts on Bamboo Earth and Slick because um, any email that performs better for those brands has a much larger impact than an email that performs well for our newer brands. And that's very simply because our larger brands have larger audiences than our smaller brands. And so it just makes sense. If you're going to send an email, wouldn't you want to send a better email to 10,000 people or to 100,000 people or to 200,000 people instead of to 2,000 people? Because that's just the reality of the, the different list sizes that we're dealing with here. So, um, so, but then I thought about this and I thought, wait a minute, I think we might have a problem here, which is that like, we really haven't even focused enough on building out our simple automation. So I got together with Jacob, our manager of retention. And, you know, I mean, Jacob was great about this. He said within a week he had these all fixed, but like, um, he, we, uh, we implemented our, uh, our automations in a much better and, and fuller way than we had before for our newer brands. And wouldn't you know it, the moment that we did that, what happened was all of our Facebook metrics started looking better. This is the thing, right? Facebook is, is uh, telling you what is happening uh, after you click on an ad or after you view an ad. And you have this 28-day window to view your metric, to, to view sort of what happens with your customer afterwards, if you capture a sale or not. So Facebook ROAS, right? Default for a long time has been um, you can look at what happens after one, seven, or 28 days of somebody clicking on your ad. And you can see... After that first click, how long does it take somebody to purchase? This is a fascinating thing. So, so I'm going to tell you right now about uh, Genuine Canine's metrics before and after we made this change. I actually don't remember the exact date. But in February, looking at a click-only basis, uh, Genuine Canine ran on a one-day click ROAS of 084 at about $17,000 in spend. Now, we, we are still early in this brand. We're still testing a lot of stuff. It's certainly not where we want to be uh, on, on that basis. So so that's fine. So that's where we were at. About 500 bucks a day, a little more, uh, maybe 600. And, and that's where we're at, 0.84, okay? So not going great. On a 28-day window, that was a 1.01. So very little growth, what we call delayed attribution. The idea that 
you know, what happens to a customer from one day after clicking to 28 days after clicking? You know, Bamboo Earth gets huge delayed attribution. And that's um, for all kinds of reasons, I think. But uh, but gets huge delayed attribution, which uh, I would say it's around 60% increase in revenue from uh, one day click to 28 day click. What I mean by that is um, after somebody clicks and buys in one day, there's 60% more value to be captured within 28 days. If you don't know what I mean... Um, I'm sure there's delayed attribution. Let me, I'll see if I can put something in the show notes to break this concept down. But the basic idea is that uh, it's, it's just this idea of demand capture versus demand generation. You don't capture all the demand one within the first day of somebody clicking. People stop and they go home or they wait for their paycheck or they, or they talk to their friend about it or they say, hey, have you ever seen this? Pro-? Like whatever, a million things could happen that make it so that people don't always purchase right after clicking and Facebook can capture that up to 28 days and, and so that's what I'm talking about here, right? One day click, 0.84, 28 day click, 1.01. That is a like 15% or something increase in value from one day to 28 days. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. Don't hold me to that math. Okay. In March, we uh, if you look at the first, let's say March 8th through March 21st, at, sometime after we had implemented this change, suddenly... We went to a 0.79 one-day click ROAS along uh, in that time window. But on a 28-day window, we went to 1.28. We went to, so we went from basically 0.8 to 1.3. So suddenly, we were seeing more than 50, from 15% growth from one day to 28 days to more than 50% growth from, uh, from one day to 28 days. The difference in that time, maybe my first actual theory here was that stimulus checks had played a big role in that, but I don't actually think that's what's going on. I think what's going on there is that we had, we massively changed our automations. We made sure that after you first get to our website, we keep the conversation going with you. That is, we make sure to capture the demand. And because we did that, because we made sure to capture the demand, suddenly at basically the same one day click ROAS, you know, within the margin of error, basically, that every click that we drove was worth 20% more to us almost 25% more to us or maybe more than 25% more to us. So it, it made a huge, huge difference in the value of that. Like overnight, we, we, did, we got those automations going. And so now we're going to go and keep hammering away at that because if we can make it so that people get more and more and more valuable to us, well, then it's going to really make it so that we could actually potentially establish this, this brand. So what I'm saying is it's easy to get in this a long way of saying it's very easy to get into a rhythm where all you do is endlessly test your Facebook ads. But what I am realizing is that we have not been good enough at 4x400 at having a process by which we absolutely make sure that we check every box of retargeting that can come that, that we can. That we do a great job of capturing demand after we drive the demand in the first place. That means sales channels, that means traffic channels, that means anything we can do. I'm looking, so like for me, I'm just gonna like create the checklist or something for our brands. Make sure our social is good, our organic social. Make sure we're posting and interacting because people for sure are gonna go look at your brand and they're gonna go check out your Instagram page or whatever, okay? Make sure our social is good. Make sure our, our automations, this is the lowest hanging fruit you can do. Get your social going, get your email automations going. SMS automations, make sure that those are going. Hey, then, um, dynamic display retargeting, just those ads that show people your product again after they first clicked on it. Um, 
video view re-engagement on Facebook. If somebody viewed your video for more than 15 seconds, talk to them again. Like just like put another ad in front of them. Okay. Um, if, even if they didn't click, I promise you it will perform better than cold prospecting. Uh, Amazon. Uh, I, I know some people will do some money on eBay. Make sure that you're, you're, um, I, I, I've seen mixed things about this, but I, I think it's probably a good idea to have your branded search and branded shop, Google shopping set up when you can, because, um, that's so cheap on the whole that you just probably want to make sure uh, that if there's any incremental sales there at all, by having that, you're probably coming out ahead. So, uh, YouTube retargeting, like all of those different things that you can do, get those set up, get those going. Cause my guess is that if you do all of that stuff, suddenly you are going to run at a higher MER, more profitability. It's counterintuitive because some of this costs money, but you're going to, um, after you spend all that money to drive that cold prospecting, you're going to capture that demand better and you're going to, and you're going to, um, have a more valuable business and a more profitable business on the whole. So that's the idea. Demand generation, really important. Get your Facebook ads right, all those things for sure. But demand capture, easy to overlook to really dig that up. Maybe, maybe I'll build a full checklist at some point of the things that I want us to do um, and, uh, and post it for you or something like that. So uh, that's the story. That's the idea. Make sure you capture both. Every once in a while, when I uh, finish this podcast, I generally don't look very much at the clock. I, I we don't I don't have like an episode length that I'm usually aiming for. If I can go shorter, I do. Nobody needs another two-hour podcast in their life. Uh, and you know, I don't really get towards two hours. Some of the interviews I do, I'm 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 especially okay with going a little bit longer, just as the nature of how conversations like this go. Um, but man, I just looked up at the clock and realized I've gone for a half an hour or whatever already, and uh, and that doesn't normally happen. So I guess. Um, it's because there's a lot to untangle there and a lot of ideas to work through. I hope I was clear enough. And if I wasn't and I need to clarify something, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know and make fun of me if you want for not being good enough at it. Um, you can do that on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris, uh, or you can reach out to me at podcast at 4x400.com. And I would, uh, 4x400.com, podcast at 4x400.com. I'd love to hear from you. Any thoughts you have, of course, as always, I really, really, really appreciate it when you share this with somebody or when you rate and review. That is enough for this episode. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next week.